getting into a band at that point it was like all your Christmas come at once yeah. we had a box full of our CDs wow. and we were like oh just throw out the crowd two or three days later we went down to the site where we'd actually played there was still our CDs scattered <laughs> everywhere and we were like oh shit <laughs> yeah the covers side of everything is great but I want people to go see live original music um, I just don't think people appreciate an underground kind of band oh well I can listen to them on Spotify why don't I want to see them live I put a lot of money up front on a night you don't know if you're going to make a profit, a loss, yeah. break even. I think some of them just get lazy. I'm being serious. I think some of them just think, oh, well, the band will sell it. Everything was going wrong, and the band come up to me, and they're like, <laughs> in my face, and I went, do you want a short set, then? <laughs> and the guy again looked at me, and he went, no. Well, there you go, then. Shut up. <laughs> 20 years ago, she was a cracking-looking woman. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Now he just looks like a mess. Hello, welcome to the One More Songcast. We're here to talk about our new sponsor, which of course is Macintosh Inc. Promotions. They've got a gig coming up on Saturday the 16th of December. It's at Dirty Blondes in Blackpool, which is a great local venue for music. Me and Lee have both played there and I always had a good experience there. Yep, so they've got three bands on in the night. It's being headlined by Portrayal of Ruin, who are a five-piece deathcore band from Manchester. They're then followed by Incarnage, who are a South Cumbrian band, and they play some melodic metal. And then you've got Divineitis, who are another Manchester metal band, and they play instrumental metalcore music. So go and get your tickets below in the description. And also, if you go and check out Macintosh Inc. Promotions on Facebook and Instagram, you'll be able to find some sort of ticket link there, I'd imagine, and some promotion leading up to the event. Yeah, go and give the band some love as well. Go and listen to them on Spotify or all other good streaming platforms. And we're going to get back to your episode. Hello, welcome to the One More Songcast. My name's Luke. And I'm Lee. Is this our fourth episode in season two now? I think it is. I think it is. But we should probably know, shouldn't we? But we've not even released our first uh, season two episode yet. So uh, that's all to come. We've got Gary McIntosh with us today. Gary's a gig promoter, an original gig promoter in uh, mainly the Blackpool area. And uh, we're going to get a bit of an insight into what life is like for a promoter in the Lancashire area this week. So welcome to the podcast, Gary. How are we thank doing, you. mate? You okay? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. Good stuff. So, Gary, um, where are you originally from then? I'm originally from Middlesbrough. Okay, cool, cool. So, um, yeah. What brought you down to Blackpool then? A woman. Oh, Lancashire. A woman? Oh, yeah. It's always the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very, very much. We've known each other all our lives, so okay. we kind of got together three, four years ago, yeah. and just everything's gone from there. Okay, so fair really. enough. Right, we always start the podcast. I don't know if you've watched any, anything or, or Lee's given you a bit of, uh, bit of a heads up. We always start with a very general question. What does music mean to you? It means everything to me. Okay. I can't go through a day without music. Okay, fair enough. So literally as soon as I'm walking to work on a morning or like uh, any time, headphones are on, music's always like my life really in a way. Wicked, yeah. I think that's the general consensus with people in this yeah, business, most isn't people, it? most people will generally answer with everything. Yeah. Um, but... 
Um, you do get varied answer to, uh, answers on that. Um, yeah, you do, yeah. Does it affect your mood when you don't listen to music and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, it does, actually, yeah. It's like, if I don't, actually, if, like, say you're on your way to work and your headphones run out of battery or something like that, and it's like, oh, for God's sake, <laughs> I was really enjoying that song kind of thing. <laughs> but then it just, that's the thing, though, isn't it? You've just got to kind of tip rough with a smooth. Absolutely, mate. So growing up then in Middlesbrough, what was that like, generally? before we go into the music um, side of things. It was yeah, relatively okay. We had a, had a good childhood yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, very musically in my family. Like, well, not like as in instrument-wise, but my mum and dad like, like listened to loads of different kinds of music and everything. So yeah. I kind of got like a collective taste of okay. music. And what were they into then, really? Uh, my mum was like rock and roll, 60s, 70s. Yeah. My dad was like Irish folk kind of stuff like that. So I kind of get like an acoustic side of everything. Yeah, okay, yeah. So yeah, it's a bit of a collective thing. Bit me. of a mix there, yeah. yeah. Bit of a mixed bag. And, and were they obviously playing that round the house and, yeah. and everything like that in the car and everything? Yeah, wicked. So was that all CDs, radio, or how did you... Uh, radio, listen? tape, CD. Tapes, yeah. Tapes. <laughs> Classic. Yeah, yeah, from my era, I think, uh, well, you're, you're, you must have had tapes in the house. Um, not so much. I mean, I remember my dad's van having a tape player in it. Yeah, yeah. like most tape, yeah. there were tapes in, in vans and cars. For like vans, until yeah, exactly. the, what, the, the early 2000s? Yeah, early yeah. 90s. And if yeah, you had yeah. a CD player in your car, you had a fancy car at that yeah, time. Yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> and, now, and now they don't even have CD players in no, their cars. No, now it's all Bluetooth. It's smart, now, it? Yeah, so. yeah. So you, you can't even like put a CD together of, your, say, your, your original tunes and, and sell yeah. that at gigs now, really, can you? I mean, no. it's not really... No, at first, I think when I was like 17, you used to take CDs round to pubs and yeah, hope, you did, hope yeah. they'd play them um, but yeah you don't get any of that these days <laughs> the collectible element almost got it's, out the window apart from the resurgence of vinyls isn't it yeah well that's like a new thing coming in really isn't it like so I've noticed in the last like maybe a year or two that bands have started bringing vinyls out and stuff like that and it's been like a great collection thing because you think if them bands go further into their career yeah. you've got that like go, oh I've got their first album on vinyl and well, also I've seen the Sherlock's are bringing back his cassette tape as well yeah, and stuff. So, so like that's coming back in again. So I'm I'm actually looking forward to that, and I may even have to pick myself up a. I'm going to say, have you got something to play somewhere? <laughs> I might have to pick myself up a tape player and just uh, roll back the years. Yeah. <laughs> Put the big, big headphones back on as well. Yeah. <laughs> Proper old school Sony. What walking. I was most used to was those like portable CD players. Yeah, and yeah, stick your headphones in and that. They were right. weird. It was with Sony Walkman. And then if you touched yeah. it ever so slightly, yeah, just yeah. The, the, the anti shock. Yeah. Everything, yeah, yeah, everything, everything skipped. You're like, <laughs> <laughs> got the scratches on your CDs. You're checking yeah, every yeah, CD literally. like that. <laughs> so what? So obviously, you've told us a bit about your parents' influences. What were you then listening to growing up and into your teenage years? What was? What were you into? Um, like stuff like Iron Maiden, Metallica, okay. uh, Pantera, Marilyn Manson. So yeah. kind of like started like the uh, Ozzy Osbourne, Black okay. Sabbath. Yeah, so yeah. all like the really classic rock stuff. Right. So how did you discover that? Because like I got like when I started to develop my taste, it was all off music channels. Was it? Did you have Sky in the house? Or uh, anything no, like we didn't that? have Sky in the house. Um, it's like Friends mainly. Mm. You know what I mean? Right. Like they, they had Sky and everything. So you go out in the house like, oh, have you seen this band? Like, who is it? It's like, oh, it's so-and-so-and-so. And so. Oh, I like these, actually. These are quite good. So then, but then you were going back to what we said about CDs and vinyls and tapes and that. You'd go to, like, your local music shop, like HMV and stuff like that back in the time, um, and just buy, like, the CD that, even if it was just, like, their one song was that you liked, you'd buy the full album just to, mm. for that one song. Yeah. It, oh, yeah, yeah, I do yeah. remember those days. It's um, a great way to then to then really understand what you're listening to with, with some of the B-sides and stuff as well. You know, you don't get that opportunity anymore, do you? No, really? I think, yeah, because it's all there. It's just, 
you don't get that opportunity to just take a chance on a band. The only way you get it now is like playlists or yeah. you've or, still got radio, but it's not it's not the same. They generally play the same stuff yeah. over and over again. There's some some things that have already like been played about five times in the day and oh, all that yeah. kind of stuff, which it kind of gets a bit boring. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? You listen to the same song like five times. If you listen to the radio station all day, yeah. you hear that song five times, yeah. you think, for God's sake, the it's The playlist doing. just goes round yeah. in a circle, <laughs> Especially it? like Capital FM and all that, oh, where it's all just mate. the crap chart stuff, and it's like, like you say, it's like every other song's the same song, though. You know? Yeah, I'm going to say Heart's the worst for that, but yeah. then yeah. they're all as bad as each other because yeah. they're all kind of owned by, like, it's like a group of companies within yeah, one, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, how did it then... So, so did you then go into being a musician? Uh, yeah, um, started playing guitar at like twelve. Okay. Um, kind of bought a, a cheap guitar for a friend of mine. I was like, you know what, I want to be a guitarist. So I thought, give it a go. Yeah. And I, I excelled it for like six months, and I was like, oh, can I really be bothered doing this anymore? Because <laughs> like things, so I put it to one side for like for like another three months, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to pick this back up again. And I started playing like every day. Got music lessons. Um, and stuff, and then my teacher moved to Canada. Right. So it was like it was like so I've paid all this money for lessons, and now he's leaving. But like round in the Teesside area, at that point there was hardly any teachers, so it was like school weren't doing. Um, we got our GCC music thing took off us. I don't know why, but that was another thing. So we had no music program in our school at all. Mm. So it was a bit weird. Um, so we, in the end, we just, I just started learning myself, you know what I mean? It's like picking things up by ear and stuff like that, like odd little things. And then, um, at 16, I, uh, joined my first band at 16. Okay. So. And was that a school band then? Was no, it, it was just, just um, it was like my mum's friends, like son was like forming a band. Um, they had like, they'd been together for about three or four months and they needed another guitarist. So okay. it's like, oh, well, my son might be interested. Right. So I went to the audition <laughs> and I was like, I'm not going to get this. I was like, I just had like a feeling I wasn't going to get it. And they were like, do you want the job? Um, yeah. I was like, of course I want the job. I was like, I'm not going to say no to getting into a band at that point. It was like, kind of like all your Christmas come at once yeah. when you get into a band. Definitely, mate. And were you the lead guitarist then? Rhythm guitarist. Rhythm guitarist, yeah. okay. So no singing or... Back, uh, I did a bit, bit of backing back, back vocals, yeah. yeah. Wicked. So um, did it go well at the start? Was it... Was it um, Obviously, when you, some people, when they first gig, it's a nightmare, you know, for whatever yeah, reason. Yeah, we... Um, it was... It took us about six months to get our, like, ourselves off the ground kind of thing to get, like, songs written and everything sorted. Um, the, but then when we had everything done, we recorded our first demo in our guitarist flat right so it was like very diy kind <laughs> yeah. of thing um so what we did is we had like the front room all set up um and then we like kind of like cushioned part of the thing off so we could record the drums okay yeah. so it was very like a dampened kind of room yeah. very weird but it was very well put together was it yeah and then we um we had a, like a major gig which was i don't even ever heard of middle's music live it used to be like a big like kind of like all day kind of thing it was about 10 12 stages and uh, we were like, we had a box full of our CDs. Wow. And we were like, oh, just throw them out the crowd. It didn't cost us anything to make. So Fair we were enough. like, oh, just give away for free. It doesn't yeah. matter. Um, but then two or three days later, we went down to the site where we'd actually played. There was still our CDs scattered <laughs> everywhere. And we were like, oh, shit. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, everyone was like listening to it. Going, oh, yeah, these are good. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you seem, um, even from 16 years old, that you were very... Um, very much about writing your own music and original yeah. music. How was that sort of ingrained in you from an early age that that's what you wanted to do rather than playing the covers? Um, 
like covers is a great way to like broaden your horizons kind of thing yeah um but the only way you're going to kind of get noticed anywhere is write your, your own original yeah. songs and this is like kind of friends have always said oh yeah you need to write your own original songs if you want to get anywhere in life that is the only that's the best way to be and who were you looking at at that age and thinking they're writing songs that's what i want to do um like looking like people like especially at the time like newton faulkner and people like that i've, I've actually met newton faulkner he's actually really a really, really nice guy yeah um but then we too would like we gigged with like people like Enid Shikari and stuff like that so it was like we've had a big kind of thing um but we we're looking up to them and we're like wow well, these guys have like done it for like five ten years well five seven years before us so we need to kind of step our game up and keep going at that yeah. that's what we need to do so if we want to be as good as them we need to keep keep going and how did that pan out that band then did you join any other bands did the band go for a while it went for about what would it be? nearly two years yeah um and we went like around the uk quite a lot kind of thing we'd like there's like other bands that we knew we were like oh yeah we've got a gig in say reading yeah. oh we need a support band do you want to come and do it well yeah if we're gonna if we're gonna get paid a bit of diesel money we don't mind so we used to just like literally rock up to gigs no one even knew who we were they'd know them because they were from that area so we're like oh yeah so that's how we kind of got our fan base and it were yeah so was it through like myspace facebook and all that myspace sort of thing that you were getting the thing that back then yeah yeah because you obviously used to put your demos on your myspace yeah you did page yeah i think we got like i think in the first day we put our demo out on myspace we had like a thousand hits in like and in no time but we're not sure if people were just like hitting the refresh button loads just to kind of get you players up which you wouldn't actually surprise me yeah so so what was the what was the genre of music then was it very much what you were influenced by with your sort of rocky tunes um no it wasn't very metalcore kind right, of Right. okay yeah um it was like it was weird how i kind of kept got to the audition um they had kind of something they wanted me to play and i can't for the life of me can't remember what i played now because it's not been that long ago um and then they were like oh can you play this so they wrote something i was like oh yeah i can i'll blast through with that yeah and then the vocalist kind of like just like started screaming and i'm like okay i'm a bit scared of you but okay let's go for it yeah but after that like me and the vocalist phil just got on like a like a house on fire. He was as scary as a pussycat, but he like looking at him, he was massive. Screaming. So yeah. <laughs> and obviously like the face changes when they scream yeah. as well. Like you get that like demonic look in people's eyes when they start screaming. It's quite scary yeah. looking at them to be fair. <laughs> Some people you look at them and you think like, they're talking to you normally and you're like, Oh yeah, they're absolutely thing. Then you hear that scream and you're like, Okay, I maybe don't want to get on the wrong side of these guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? The the vocal technique that must have to go into it to get it right. I don't know if everybody yeah. gets it right, maybe. Um, um, I think I think there are tutorials online um, that you can do you can to get do. it. Because it was it outward screaming as well, yeah. not innies. Yeah, there's an inward screaming one. Like You have to do like a pig squeal. It's really weird. Yeah. Um, but it's all about the like shape of like, like how we have it where it's like the shape of the vowel. Yeah, you've got to shape it right to get the squeal right and yeah, all sorts. and it's of... just really hard to do. Like, mm. like Phil tried to teach me how to scream, and I'm like, nah. I was like, I'm not going to be able to do that. Kind I think of you've got to get used to the fact that you're probably going to rupture a couple of vocal cords. Yeah, that's what <laughs> when I was, you're learning. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. But so, when you said you um, were touring with Enter Shikari, obviously they they didn't really get big till sort of 
I'm going to say 2007, 2008. So what sort of time was this? This was about the t- before they were kind of really big. Uh, we played two gigs with them. We played one in Chesterfield, which was like a festival kind of thing. Um, and then we got the support slot in Middlesbrough for them, which was really weird. How like um, The guy that was the promoter at the time was a good friend of ours. And he was like, I've had a pull out for, for the Anishikari gig. Do you want it? Um, um, yeah. I was like, of course, I'm going to say yes to that. Even though I didn't even ask the guys at this point. I was like, they, they will say yes no matter what. It was like, you're going to get a chance to, to support a big band like that. Yeah. You're going to like take the, ch- the opportunity straight away. So, like, obviously that one came through a friend. Was there anywhere it didn't come through a friend? And how did you get it? Um, oh God. I know most of our gigs came through friends, really. Um, we had a couple of like guys that would like, who were like booking agents for other bands and say, "Oh yeah, we've got a gig with like a band that was like, in their area," and then we'd go, "Oh yeah, we'll we'll check them out and see what how it's going to go," and then we'd go support them kind of thing. But then we'd like if they'd come here and we were playing like a, a gig, they'd go, "Oh yeah, we'll come and support you," kind of thing. So it was kind of like a swings around about kind of thing. Mm. So that again was that just bands you'd met on MySpace and booking agents that you'd yeah. met on MySpace and everything, yeah. and you were just chatting to them. So that's that's not changed a lot then, really, considering no, it's, still, it's all it's all Facebook, Instagram, still, still digital, isn't it? So and uh, more social media kind of thing. So how did you find? Obviously, on that in those days, it wasn't really Facebook marketing or anything like that. No. So. How did you manage to get uh, what what processes were you taking to sort of get your music out there? Um, just trying to play as many gigs as we could, really, kind of thing. We just try to like jump on any gig we could get on. Um, like friends of ours, like oh, like saying before back before was like, but friends would say, oh, we've got a gig available. Do you want it? Kind of thing. So it was kind of getting our name out there. And, like one would be like, oh, we're playing, say one bar on a Thursday, then one on a Saturday. Like oh, come and see us, kind of thing. And that's how we got our word out there, was like word of mouth kind of thing. Did you get any shocks where you'd say, go to somewhere like Reading and then people are singing the songs back to you? And you're yeah, just like, I've, had, I've had a few like yeah. that. And it was just like weird how we had people like knowing our lyrics and stuff like that. And I'm like, why? how do these guys know like who we are? And it's like, well, they've probably been following us on MySpace for like the last seven or eight months. Now we're actually here, the the want to see us. So it was like, okay, well... We, at times we actually we got a, one guy uh, I think it was a gig in Leeds and we actually got the guy up on stage to actually sing with us right. it was actually quite weird actually having two vocalists similar kind of style <laughs> singing our lyrics yeah, yeah. absolutely <laughs> it's weird how that like that excitement doesn't translate about that because at the time you're enjoying it but you're still in the back of your head going out yeah how the fuck do these people know our songs yeah like it's, it's more that that feeling takes over because initially it's like oh wicked they're singing their songs but then how the fuck do they know that like what you're scratching your head yeah, more than you are excited about it it's yeah. so weird how that takes over the weird thing about that gig as well that night was our guitarist actually nutted a guy in the crowd <laughs> because johnny was like very he didn't like people within his face yeah and this guy was like just literally like getting closer and closer to Johnny's face and he just turned around and went boom and just nutted him <laughs> I was like oh no <laughs> imagine with that style of music that's kind of what it's all about isn't it people being in your face and that with mosh pits and all that shit it, to an extent but yeah. still 
But I think there is that personal boundary, and it's yeah. like we've spoken about protection for musicians at mm. gigs. It's not always yeah. there. No. At the same time, you don't want barriers in front of the stage because no. it does feel like it's you and them. Yeah, and but, you're getting like a restriction kind of thing in the in there. Especially, yeah. like, say, like when you go to like a big band, like in like an arena, you have that barrier between the stage and thing. Yes, you've got security there, but you aren't getting like the feel for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like I've played places where it's like open dance floor kind of places, so people can actually come like right up to you, mm. which is understandable. But then you get that feel for like people want to know who you are and like see that you're playing your instruments properly and not yeah. using. <laughs> pre-recorded things like which is going around to the media at the moment have you ever seen that video of that like busker that's playing and and he's doing this like really like complex guitar solo and this guy's looking at him and he's going you're not playing that live and he's like i am mate honestly i am and he's like you're not and he's getting right in his face and then he has to like proper show him that he's playing it live and he's like still not convinced and he's like what more do you want me to i'm doing it and it's just like people like really are interested in that aren't they as well but uh it does come at a cost as well sometimes because like sometimes especially in bars and stuff like the bar owners are not going to help you in situations where it can just spill overboard um, no. you know but it, i suppose that's part of it sometimes you know yeah i think i think sometimes like yeah with we've done a wedding gig at the weekend and like you've had we had the bride and groom come on stage singing with us which is yeah. like that's absolutely fine if like the lead singer is happy to get them on stage and do that that's absolutely fine but it's just when people just feel that they've got a divine right to get on and use your yeah. gear yeah um we did a gig back in march it was hardly anybody there, but it was like, there was two touring kind of bands that have done like a nine day tour. And then like the Blackpool gig was the like the final gig, like final night. And um, everybody on the final night, just literally every band and every person <laughs> in the room just piled on the stage at the Talbot. <laughs> and I'm like, shit, what are we gonna do? <laughs> like, oh shit. So my, my sound tech's like, is all our gear safe on there? And I'm like, probably not. <laughs> yes, but. <laughs> If anything does start to fall, I am going to literally run and grab it. <laughs> and he's like, okay. Even though it's not my sound text gear, it's my gear. Yeah, yeah. But it's still like, you think you've got a microphone there, it could be like 80, 90 quid. You know what I mean? You loot, you break that, there's 90 so quid. So it's gone. all your gear that you supply at these gigs, is it? Yeah. Near enough, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> if some like the Who style band just comes on yeah, and just starts swatting your gear, like, <laughs> blows up the drum kit like halfway yeah, through. Yeah, like Keith Moon did, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So um, I'm guessing the the um, you performing came to some sort of end, did it, for you then to become a promoter? Uh, yeah. So and, what happened there then? Um, we kind of filled out as a band kind of thing. We wanted to change style, but no one could agree on what style we wanted to go down. Um, one of them wanted to go more like kind of post-hardcore kind of thing. Some of them wanted to go more deathcore. And it was like, right, we can't kind of come to some compromise and kind of be in the middle. And I decided at that point, it was my time to walk away. So was that was it a difficult decision then? Because of all the memories you'd have had, you'd have you've supported big bands at that point when you're starting to come to an end of something you kind of know it's coming to an end is it was there still that element of holding on yeah, for a little was, bit of time was, yeah we we tried um kept rehearsing and everything that with the set that we already had and then it just kind of everyone kind of divided so that it was like oh well, i don't want to do this anymore i don't want to do that anymore it's like well what do we do you know what i mean we we had to cancel about three or four gigs because of that divide and it was like so 
I was like one of the first people to leave, but Johnny left before that and came back. And then we were trying to find another guitarist and it just wasn't working out. And I was like, well, is it time that we hang our boots up and say, right, we've tried, call it a day. And then all of a sudden Johnny was like, I'll come back. So he came back for like, I think we did about five gigs after that. And then we just, one night we just all sat together having a chat and I went, I think it's time we called it a day. And everyone's like, yeah, I think it's kind of run its course. And like that feeling of sort of deflation come out of you, or was it was it sort of relief? In it the was end? a bit of relief because uh, like everyone just kind of went, yeah, maybe we need to go do other things, and maybe in a year, a couple of years' time, come back together and do this again. Which is I was saying to Luke earlier about um, we had like a chance to have a reunion, um, and we kind of got together and rehearsed once and then everything just signed it's kind of it gelled back together again but then it also divided again and i was like i can't do this mm. you know what i mean i can't be in a band again with if we're going to divide again so <sighs> so what was the gap then between you finishing with this band to them becoming a promoter were you a promoter in middlesbrough for a while as well yeah. so you started your promotion in middlesbrough yeah um we're going to talk mainly about your promotion in the next part but what did you take from your experience of original gigging, the, the, the good memories and, and the sort of motivations as to why you wanted to write original music? What did you take from that into your promotion? What was your, your sort of uh, your standpoint then going um, I just wanted to kind of help bands mm. out in the area because I, I could see a lot of bands that were kind of doing gigs and they're like, oh, we're struggling to get gigs here. And I'm like, right, put you on at my place and then you can kind of go from there. I'll put you in touch with a couple of people. Um, which I did anyway, um, and then they got like gigs like out the areas and stuff like that, and, like in Newcastle and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I was like, I was always trying to help out. You know, I mean, any other promoter was like in the area, they were like, oh, do you know a band that'd fit this bill? I'm like, yeah, I would actually. These guys will fit. So you were already well. doing the work before yeah. you was a promoter kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. You had that experience. And was that sort of like then you thought, do you know what? I'm putting everyone in touch with these promoters and I'm getting almost nothing back. Yeah. Why not I do this myself? Yeah. Is that the sort of like general idea you've yeah. for? That's what I wanted to do. I just wanted to help people, you know what I mean? It's, and the music scene in Teesside at that point was starting to de decline again. So I thought, well, we need to kind of bring something into the area to try and bring Teesside back to how it used to be. And yeah. we, we did that for like for the for four years that we were there. You know what I mean? But then things started getting more expensive. Bars started doing different deals around where we were. So then it kind of declined our clientele. And then we just, in the end, it was just like a nosedive in a way for us. Mm. And I decided to step away. Like that was in to 2014, I stepped away and just decided I didn't want to be there anymore because I didn't see the point because it was literally, I was going on a weekly basis. I did 48 gigs a year. So doing it one every week and I had like some a bit of time off. But then it just kind of like our clientele kept like dropping and dropping and dropping. We were putting great bands on and people just weren't interested. Mm. They were going elsewhere for drinks then coming back to ours for the bands. So the bar was getting no takings at all. I see, yeah. Do, do you think, so obviously you started your promotion in about 2010, is that yeah. right? 
Um, do you think there was, we were talking to a former guest that was on in the, he, he was gigging predominantly in the 90s and said that original music was booming at that point. Everyone wanted to see original music. Yeah. That's what they were going out to see on a Friday, Saturday night. Have you noticed between, say, 2010 and now, was there more of an interest in original music back then or is it growing now? What, it's what's... starting to grow again now. Yeah. Um, this is what we cr- we're trying to do now. Yeah. It's like I, as, me as Motor trying to bring the raw original music like forward kind of thing. So people will go, oh, they played at, say, one place one night. Oh, they're playing there next week. Right, we'll go see them again. Mm. Like I used to years ago. Like mates bands used to always be playing like different places. Right, okay, well, they're on it on Saturday there, they're on next Saturday there, they're on Sunday there, right, take a weekend off work, we'll go and see them. Yeah, But like, I don't think everyone really does that anymore, I think unless it's a covers band. Do, why do you think that is, as a promoter? Um, as a promoter, I think it's because um, people know the songs. Yeah. I think that's what it is. I think, yeah, you've got that element where if people if people aren't willing to take a chance on a band live because they can just get the music for nothing on Spotify or they're yeah. already paying for a, sub, a Spotify subscription, and they'll also see the ticket price. Yeah, this is... What and that's, that's another thing that puts them off where they can go and see a band play a load of songs that they know for nothing in a pub. Yeah, and play £5 a pint. Yeah. Or I, pay, instead of paying £5 to see a ticket to see an original band. Yeah, someone that's like sat there, worked, worked the back off. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I do the covers as well. Yeah. And there's plenty of people in that industry that work hard. But, you know... Just Write, writing your own songs is not as easy as people think it is. No, no, no. chance. No. Yeah. It isn't just sitting there with an acoustic guitar. If you're in a band, you've got to pick parts for four people or yeah. at least, well, even three even if you're a duo, you, you know, there's still parts you've got to pick to make that song progress and complete yeah. it. So. I'd argue there's a, there's plenty of capable songwriters that just go, do you know what, it's not worth it. Mm. I'm making all this money at weddings and whatever else. I'm just not going to bother in that sense. Yeah. Do you get what I mean? I get, yeah, um, I get that. So, yeah, that, that, that is a tricky part. Right, we're going to put a break just for now um, and then we're going to really delve into your promotional side of things. We're just slightly running out of time on the Sorry. camera, so uh, we'll see you shortly in a minute. Right. Hope you've enjoyed it so far. Thank you. See you in a minute. Cheers. Bye. Hello, people. Sorry to interrupt your episode. Lee, why the ruddy hell have you got a Christmas hat on? It's October, for God's sake. Oh, golly God, Luke. We've got something so exciting to tell you all about our Christmas special. (laughs) Go on, Lee, tell us more. So, what we're going to do is we're going to have guests on. Or at one, maybe one guest. It oh. just depends on who's available at such a busy time of <laughs> who year. Who can be asked? <laughs> yeah, maybe who can be asked. But it'll include me and Luke having a beer on camera, which will be interesting, yeah, won't it? Luke? We're going to play some musical Christmassy games. Yeah, maybe try some eggnog. We haven't decided that, but Ooh. I've just chucked it in there anyway. But it'll be all exciting for you. Coming up to the festive season, help you get into that festive spirit. Yeah, we're going to put the date of the Christmas special just across here for you, as uh, it's not yet been decided, but it will be by the time this advert goes out. And yeah, we hope you can join us for the Christmas special. It's going to be full of laughs, games, and musical trivia, all in the build-up to Christmas. So uh, yeah, tune in, and we're looking forward to seeing you, even though we won't be seeing you. No, we'll be seeing us. 
<laughs> See you soon. Right, welcome back to part two. We're with Gary McIntosh, um, original gig promoter. And we're going to start to delve into your original gig promotion side yep. of your life. So um, you seem fairly young. So I was saying to you off camera before that I was expecting like a, an older person. I don't know why, <laughs> um, but it seems like you've come into um, promotion quite early. Yeah. So... Um, what was it that then inspired you to go from bands and then go into the promotional side of things? Um, like I said, just helping bands really. Mm. Um, like bands were out there, were like we're crying out for gigs. We need someone to kind of give us a chance. So I was like, yeah, I'll give you a chance. If you're gonna pack my place, then yeah, it's good. So be it. Which is what I want people to do. I want people to go see live original music. So that, yeah, the covers side of everything is gr is great, but originals is like kind of like where it's gonna go kind of yeah. thing you think in like 10 years time you could be seeing a band that's here now and in 10 years time they could be playing massive world tours and stuff like that so you can be like well yeah i supported them when they first kind of came out yeah yeah it's weird i recently went to see jamie webster and the support band i gigged with them like in 20 in 2018 right so it was like you little fuckers like they were opening up for jamie webster who i'm absolutely like probably a fanboy of yeah and i'm thinking you were shit four years ago. <laughs> but things they're, changed, they're really they? good. Yeah, yeah. They, they've, they've actually really progressed. This is the thing I, I give, like, bands will say to me, oh, how did we sound? And I'm like, well, if you want me to be truly honest with you, there was, there's a few little things that might need tweaking. But the thing is, people want that criticism. Yeah. Mm. Because if they don't get it, they just think, oh, yeah, we're fine, we're great. Mm. But if they don't get that criticism, they're like, oh, well, what do we do? Yeah. Is there any chance of us perfecting anything? Do we need to downplay something? It's just the way thing. I mean, I'd you're quite good at delivering that. Oh yeah, um, just, sort of constructive criticism. Yeah, yeah. I just like normally say, oh yeah, you need to be a bit more tighter on a couple of songs. You need to do this. You need to do that. You maybe need to add this in, add that in. It might just make your songs a bit better. And yeah. It's like, well, okay then. I'd rather some people say to me they'd rather me be honest with them than lie to them. Yeah, I agree. Is, I agree. Sometimes you come off after a gig and you feel like it's not gone the best, but everyone's saying how great it is, and you're thinking, yeah, but some weren't right. And like you say, you, you do sometimes need that person to just tell you, well, if you just touch on, even if it's just small things, you yeah, know, it, it what does help. Do, yeah. It does make the world a difference. So, uh, like we said before, you started off your first promotional company um, in Middlesbrough in Teesside. Um, so. What was the challenge? Maybe not the challenges, but was there a lot to actually put together to then monetize it? So going from just saying, oh, yeah, you can play at that venue, you go to that venue, actually making it a sort of business. Uh, was yeah, that difficult at it the was, start? It was difficult at yeah. the time because it was something I'd never done. Yeah. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to give it a pop, see what it's like. I thought, well, if it, like, if it lasts a year, it's a year of my life that I will look back at and go, well, yeah, I did okay at that. Mm. But then as my year kind of progressed the first year I did it, things start getting better and better and better and i was like well there's no going back now yeah kind of thing it's like so many big well not big bands but like big-ish kind of upcoming bands were always like oh yeah we've seen videos on youtube and and on facebook of what the venue's like on your night and i was like right okay what what are we going what's the end game here yeah oh we'd like to come play a gig for you right so then i'd sit down well not sit down with them but like talk with them and say right what is your fee and they go, oh, well, we, we normally want it like £50 for thing, right? Okay, well, I'll give you the £50, but that's all I can pay, really. Because yeah. like, we were getting paid by the venue for putting the night on. 
but the money that I was getting for that was paying for the bands as well. So I was literally not making hardly sense. any money out of it, but it was the love of music I was doing it for. So was it just one venue that you started in? So so was it just one venue that you were booking um, artists for, or was it a few venues that you started um, with? I started in a shop in Middlesbrough. I, right. was, I was used to work in the shop as well. Right, okay. It was a music shop. Yeah. Um, but Tony wanted to bring trade into the place. So he was like, well, maybe putting a band on on a Saturday or a Sunday might actually boost our trade a bit. So you'd have that in the music shop? Yeah. Right, okay. So we had like a PA system in there that could use amps that were actually in the shop, guitars that were in the shop as well. So it was like, mm. kind of think it was like a try before you buy kind of thing. And then sometimes people were like watching people play them guitars and then going, oh yeah, we, we want that guitar. Uh, so it was like, <laughs> great. So it was like kind of like a, sell, a, selling, yeah. like a selling point for us, yeah. So how does it actually work from the start of... Like, you know, you've got to get into a venue, obviously, before you start promoting anything. Yeah. How does it actually work? Do you have to have the bands first to then take to the venue, or did you just get in touch with the venue saying, listen, I've got a lot of contacts, I want to put gigs on, yes. can I use your venue? Yeah, and, that's what it was. And then how does it work from there in terms of getting everything sorted? So you've got, you've not just got the bands to think about, you've got to get equipment there, and the band's bringing their own, you've got yeah. to get a sound engineer who's providing the PA. What happens? Mm. Um, so normally what my structure is with my company is we try to go to a venue that already has a PA, in-house PA because it just makes things 10 times easier instead of bringing loads of gear kind of thing. Um, I know covers bands normally bring their own because it's normally easier for them because they normally do their own sound. Mm -hmm. But like normally bands like that, like who are doing original stuff, don't actually have a PA system. Yeah. They just think they'd rather just turn up to a venue, bring their amps and stuff like that and stuff. But with mine, it's like I provide cabs, drum kit, PA. Like, we're not a PA, but like for the bands, it's a PA and the mics and everything. So, we provide them with everything. We try and get bands to travel light. That's yeah. what we try and do. And what's the reason for, for getting them to travel light, do you think? Just because it means they don't have to do, like, have like three or four cars or anything yeah, like that. They can like yeah. come in like two cars and stuff like that. It's like the price of bloody petrol and diesel is going through the roof mm. and stuff like that. And I think a lot of bands are like uh, putting money on their. Um, gigs like when they're getting like charging because of the cost of fuel. So were you having to at the start? I mean, I imagine you already had most of this stuff from your gigging days, but were you having to put a big outlay into getting the the right mixer, the right um, PA system, the right amps and stuff, or did you already have that stuff? I had a few few it? things. Anyway. Yeah. So uh, things like back from when I was promoting back years ago, uh, a friend of mine had it in his garage. Right. Uh, and then when I started promoting again, Chris phoned me and he was like, "Oh, do you want your gear?" I was like, um, I forgot all about that, actually. Yeah, I will, actually. <laughs> so there was, like, two or three microphones. was, like, a bloody box full of leads and, like, bits and bobs. And I'm like, I forgot I even had this stuff. Yeah, you know what I mean? See. But it all still worked. Yeah. And I was just quite weird how the fact that you've been sat in a garage for, like, seven, for nearly seven years for it to still work. Mm. So was it, like... So was it all just guitar microphones as well? Like, so for the speakers and everything? No, it was, like, vocal just mics. Vo all vocal mics. Yeah. So when you're when you're putting a gig on, what is again, what is the process from there? You've got the date agreed, you've got everything. The marketing process must be horrendous. It is. So what is it you're using? What tools are you using? Obviously you're gonna post on social media and yeah. everything, but um so we normally use like Canva to create a poster kind of thing. Um so then get that out, get it on social media. Normally get them printed, put them in shops and takeaways and that just trying to get people to come you know what i mean it's just what you need these days 
yeah definitely so um, are you a traveling are you a traveling show in the sense that you'll approach a venue and you'll be like so obviously you started off in the music shop but then when you go into other venues do you approach the venue and, and say obviously introduce who you are you're going to bring these bands you've got your own equipment is that how it works you approach yeah. a venue and then you sort of work out the costings of everything with that venue yeah. is that sort of how it works Not yeah. Really, yeah yeah so how did it go from so you, you've, you've had two promotional companies, haven't you? You've had the one in Teesside, and then I'm guessing you then moved to Blackpool and pretty much had to start again, did you? Yeah. So talk us through that then. So you, I'm guessing you know nobody in the Blackpool area no, particularly. No, I didn't know, didn't know many people. So did it take you a while to get up and running then? Yeah. With the promotional side, yeah. Um, so the initial start of the company was uh, done in the March last year. So it was like literally really fresh. Uh, started everything like kind of came up with a name and then it was trying to find a venue that would actually want to do things like after covid it was literally it was so hard for yeah, but, uh, yeah. um like places like the bellevue and dirty blondes and so like that in blackpool have had it hard because they've just had covers bands like that all the time because like that's been their trade yeah see now places like now want some like original side of everything like a lot of like our new venues which i'm not allowed to announce yet <laughs> um but yeah a lot of our new venues are wanting to go down that originals route yeah have just you ever been in dirty blondes before we played there yeah i've been there it's before. uh i didn't suit the venue at all though at the time i think it's yeah <laughs> it's, it's like a, solo acoustic act and it weren't really the vibe really it's a strange venue that um but the stage area look it the food in there is unbelievable yeah. by the way it is it's brilliant um it was a really cool vibe. I think we just had a bad experience. There was a fallout in the band at that point. <laughs> and um, just, I think, we were all knackered because at the time I was working full-time. Everyone else had had, like, I think, a, just a shoddy day at work. And it was literally just trying to find the, ven- the parking for the venue. It yeah, like it's, down, like, it's in the back alley. In the it, tightest so. alley ever. So then I think just everything just kind of went wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... In terms of the actual gig, the crowd were lively and it, it just got spoilt because there was a private party upstairs. Yeah. So that kind of slightly killed it a little bit. But the, in terms of a venue, in terms of sound, the space on the stage, it was decent, to be fair. No, it is a good venue, yeah. yeah. So what did you find then? So you moved you move to Blackpool. How did you then build up the contacts? Um, just like people I'd known from like back home and stuff like that. Um, I got right, quite well in with a guy called James Bennett. He okay. does um, stuff in Manchester, the 0161 Underground. Right, so it's right. more like metal kind of things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but James, like me and James become very good friends. Um, and he's been to a few of our nights as well and stuff like that. And he said that how well we're doing it. He's like, but the only thing is, he said that I think in his eyes, he says that the venue's the in the wrong part of town. Dirty Blondes? No, uh, the, the Talbot. Oh, sorry, right, yeah. yeah, okay. The one we're at now, so... Yeah, yeah. Apparently it's in the wrong part of town, because it's on the out, like, on the out, like, out of town, really. Yeah, I see. And people don't know where it is, even though we kind of put a map, like, so where we kind of put from, like, the train station is, like, literally around the corner from it. Mm. Um, but a lot of people don't seem to realise where it is. No. Right, okay. So this is why we try and do everything we can to try and entice people to come, but then if they don't know where the venue is, then... Yeah, so obviously the location is important. So the new venues you're trying to get, obviously, like you say, you can't name them at the moment. Are they more yeah. in the centre of Blackpool now to try one's, and just... One's a little bit out of Blackpool, but it's got very good foot foot traffic. And then right. one's in, in the town centre. So they'll be easy to find. 
you know what I mean? So one with foot traffic, um, it's got parking as well. So if you want to come down and see bands and stuff like that, there's parking there. Plenty of parking. There's a massive car park there. <laughs> Super. <laughs> so do, do you find at the start when you've moved to Blackpool, was the resistance from venues around Blackpool to original music or was it quite seamless? Um, it was more like covers and cabaret yeah. and stuff like that. That's what Blackpool sort yeah. of built on, isn't it? So That's how did you sell that to them that this is this this is what we want? We want original music and this is what it's gonna do for your venue. Well how did you sell uh, that? We just all I really said was that there needs to be a new scene kind of thing. We need to revitalise what's here, like kind of thing. So we need to kinda of, yeah, keep the cabaret and the, the covers bands and everything. That that is what Blackpool is. But you need to have something else that's going to kind of come in and go right grab people's attention i mean holiday makers can literally see if we've got our posters out there they can see oh well there's an original band oh mm. well we might have we seen them before kind of thing yeah and it kind of entices people to come then i see i see so um ha- i imagine so when whenever promoters are mentioned with you have, have had some gripes in the past with promoters haven't yeah. you um it's not it's not an easy easy sort of task by by any stretch of imagination as far as i have sort of learned from talking with lee and stuff um do you feel like there's a stigma towards promoters especially when you first start working with maybe they don't trust you so much maybe yeah. you don't trust them so much with you know what their reputation might be like how do you sort of overcome that um just kind of build like a good relationship with them try yeah. and like give them all the information that they want kind of thing and then you kind of ask them the like the same questions to so say what do you want from us Kind of thing so it kind of builds that bit of trust i get yeah yeah i remember our first conversation because i think um well abby from the band she was in an original pop punk band at the time and that for whatever reason didn't material materialize and the band kind of let you down so she's pointed she pointed me in your direction just yeah. in case we could do the gig i think you'd ended up finding someone before yeah, it, we had, yeah. you were sort of like right so what's you were asking questions about the band with before you'd even considered booking us. But yeah. Like, I haven't got a date yet, but just tell me a bit about your band. And it was sort of like the conversation started from there. Um, in terms of my experience with promoters, it's mainly been in city centres yeah. that you have the issues. Yeah. Because, like, particularly from my experience, it's been in Liverpool when I was living in Runcorn. And it's like they expect you to sell 20 tickets before you've even taking a penny yeah so then you're effectively it's pay to play isn't it yeah what what uh, how many promoters like that do you come across and what do you think the main issues are in original music as to what gets promoters this reputation as well i think some of them just get lazy i've been serious because i think some of them just think oh well the bands will sell it no that doesn't know how it works you need to sell it yourself you can't just like expect everyone else to do your work for you. You can't just like you don't go do a job at, at work and be like, oh yeah, you can do that. Say so, I'm not doing that. You need to sell it yourself. That's what you need to do. So yeah. sorry, you. No, I was gonna say. I imagine that's the the should be the primary primary function of a promoter, shouldn't it? It's in the name, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's literally in the name to promote the it's gig. It's like a postman saying, oh, I'm not going to deliver the letters. You know, yeah, it's this kind is of what like, I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, some of these places even give you two weeks' notice. To play, like, like we'd say, oh yeah, have you got any dates for this year? And they'll go, yeah, we've got one in February, and then like, it, it's like right at the end of January. Yeah. The, they put you on the slap bang in the middle of February, and they say, right, 
you need to sell 20 tickets, we'll get you this. And it's like, right, okay, well, we're going to struggle to sell that amount. Is there anything we can work out? They'll go, yeah, we'll sort it. And it never gets sorted. Yeah, I've seen that happen. And they put, they, all they've done is put the post out on who's on on the Wednesday. Yeah. And you're thinking, hang on a minute, you've had this gig booked for months. Where is your job coming? And that's sometimes even venues. Yeah, I've we normally, from. what we'll do, so we'll post, like, so we'll do our event at the end of the month. Then soon as the weekend's over with, we'll start on our next gig mm. and just go, right, this is what we've got next month and this is what we've got the month after. But sometimes I'll put like a post out saying, right, this is the next three gigs. Kind of gives people a chance to say, oh yeah, we want to come and see that. So then you put the ticket links on as well and then they'll go, oh yeah, we'll buy tickets in advance. And this is what another thing that annoys me is people keep saying, oh yeah, there's not enough, um, people are doing on the door a lot. No one does advanced tickets. We've done advanced tickets near enough all the time since we've started up here. Uh, there was only two events that we didn't do advanced tickets for, which was the last two acoustic nights. So we didn't think the point of doing advanced tickets for that. And we only charged £3 to get into that. And like normally our prices are five quid, like to get on the door, mm. or £4 a ticket. Yeah, yeah. So you, yeah, you, you obviously do a lower price to sort of incentivise people yeah. to get in there before. Yeah. So the, have you found any experiences where it's on the other side and it's not the promoter's problem, it's the bands that are the problem? One, what, how, how have you tackled those issues, really? Um, normally, it's like if bands haven't actually promoted it and I'm like, well, you're meant to sell yourself. You know what I mean? This is the only way you're going to get anything out of anything. If you're going to sell yourself and go, oh, we're playing here, we're playing there, we're playing there. And it's what you, you need to kind of give them a kick up the arse at times. Yeah, uh, 100%. 100%. If you have any issues where it's actually been the band at the gig and you've got egos to deal with in bands, how, how, how do you go about dealing with that? Um, I kind of told them that they would get a shorter set. Right. Okay. Um, actually, one night, it, just, it was just, I was in one of them kind of moods and everything was going wrong and the band came up to me and they're like, eh, 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 in my face. And I went, do you want a shorter set then? <laughs> and the guy again looked at me and he went, no. I went, well, there you go then, shut up. And he just literally walked off at that point. And I was just like, oh, no. I was like, in a way, in my head, I was like, I needed to do that. But then on the other hand, I was like, that was a bit of a dickish move. Mm. But then I was like, it kind of made, like, they came to me at the end of the gig and he was like, I'm sorry for being a bit of a dick and all this kind of stuff. I was like, it's okay. I was like, I was a dick as well. So sorry, shake hands. Yeah, Matter's been solved. But it's like, I don't, I don't like this egotistical kind of thing. Like the thing is, we're there to help each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm helping them by giving them a gig. They're helping me by promoting my company. So we need to kind of gel together and bring each other in, like, kind of... Yeah. The, the fascinating thing, because I'm not really in the original music world particularly, well, I'm not at all, so I see it from a different perspective. So I was quite shocked at the start that, that like, basically a lot of originals bands and, and stuff you're not really making any money as opposed to say a cover a cover band or a cover artist can go out and make 200 250 quite easily on a friday night um do you think there can ever be a world where original musicians can make the same as covers and if if not why not um it's a very hard situation yeah um i just don't think people appreciate like a, an underground kind of band you know mm. what i mean when they're just getting out there like people think well Oh, well, I can listen to them on Spotify or Apple Music or something like that. Yeah. For, for, like, for like a subscription, why do I want to see them live? But seeing them live kind of gives them that thing. So bands bring merch. So 
apparently like, every stream on Spotify is worth like not point not not one pence for every stream. But then you buy a T-shirt, which is ten pound. Mm. That's their money that they've put into that project. And that's going on the next single. Yeah, that's going on the travel to the next gig. That's yeah. getting spent on a tour. Yeah, this is what we used to say, and it's just like we need that money to keep going. You know what I mean? We can't like we used to sell our EPs like when we had our EP out, like it was like three pound. Mm. But like everyone looks at that now and thinks, oh well, why why bring merch? Well, you see the big bands all bringing merch. They're yeah. charging like 20, 20, 30 pound a t-shirt. Some yeah. of them are like 60, 70 quid a hoodie. Yeah. And you've already <laughs> spent 60, 70 quid on the ticket. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I went to see Trivium uh, last week. Um, their t-shirts were 25 pound in the venue. There was a guy outside selling fake ones for 10 quid. <laughs> so what are you going to do? <laughs> you can't do much, can you? Yeah. So you buy, you're going to buy a fake one. You don't, you don't really care. It's got the two dates on the back. It's a picture on the front. Done. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Certainly. Yeah. Uh, I've seen Steel Panther, that was the same. There was a guy outside selling uh, hoodies for £20 and T-shirts for a tenner. Yeah. £35 for a T-shirt, £60 for a hoodie. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know these people are probably mass-producing these things, like, in a factory somewhere or something like that. But they're making a living out of fakeness, but it doesn't matter because people will pay it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. What, what I'm interested to know is, so say like, I don't know, let's just use Dirty Blondes or Bellevue for an example. Um, why is it that them venues, cut, so say like if a cover band comes and plays, it's 350, whatever. I'm, I'm guessing, do they still pay the same amount, but then you've got to pay the promoter? You've, do, you, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, it's like a, a kind of a cost-effective thing. Yeah. Um, normally, what I've seen with other venues is like, they normally give like, venues like a budget, Mm. You know what I mean? So then they say, oh, well, if a band's going to cost you... So say you've got two bands on, it's going to cost you 300 quid. So they'll give you a £500 budget. Then I think what should happen after that is the promoter should... If he has more more than, like, him and a sound tech or just him himself, um, you should kind of split that money equally and go, right, well, you're a te- we're a team. We need to kind of do it like that way yeah, kind of thing. You've all put the work in, you know what I mean? You, I've got a team of people. We, we all put, like, a lot of time in, you know what I mean? We... Like Jay and Eddie take a lot of time out of their week to promote my events when I've got them coming up. Um, they get promoted on like so Instagram, Facebook, uh, TikTok, and all that kind of thing. We we always like resharing things, and I know it's like they say about like a Facebook algorithm. Like yeah. if you just post it too much, then Facebook blocks it. But in the day, then how is social media actually going to help our businesses? Mm. Mm. If they're going to block things, how is social media helping our? Yeah, there's no clear, there's no clear like um, like you say about shadow banning and stuff like that. But there's never any clear if you if you post over this certain amount, it's always like you feel like you've been shadow banned almost, yeah. but you're never actually officially told, are you? Or you no. don't actually know what the limit is on the posts and stuff like that. So especially for like that line of promotion and stuff, it would be quite good to have more clarity on that, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, it would. But uh, yeah, you're right. So have, have you ever um, or maybe had experience of? Because obviously you've got to choose the right band for the right venue. Have you ever had it where there's just been the completely wrong fit for the, and you're like, oh shit, like I shouldn't have done this, or I don't know, you've put a pop band in a heavy metal venue or something, you know? Yeah. Um, not well. Or they falsely promoted themselves and said we're this when they're not really that, and it, you know. I had one guy uh, a couple of years, well, when I was back in Teesside, and he was when he was in a band, he was fucking brilliant, and I mean, like I had nothing like bad to say about him. 
And then he rang me and he was like, oh, Gary, can you put me on? Like, I'm doing solo acoustic stuff now. I was like, oh, well, he's good in a band. He'd be yeah. as good live as thing. No. <laughs> so I had about 30 people in the venue. Thursday night, student night. By five songs into his set, the venue was clear. Oh, no. He was playing to three people. Oh, and did he just have a completely different vibe on his yeah. own? It was just, yeah. And I literally was at the sound desk and I was like, <laughs> saying, felt like I was going to rip my hair out. But back then I did have hair. I did have hair then. <laughs> Not longer hair. But yeah, I felt like I was going to rip my hair out because it just felt like I'd done totally the wrong thing. Mm. Um, I had a word with the, the venue manager at the time and he went, maybe we don't book this guy again. And I was like, yeah, it's easier said than done in this business. Yeah. You normally kind of keep friends. Because if you don't book him as a solo, then that jeopardizes the band that you just said you love as well. Yeah. So yeah, it's a tricky on your end, balancing all the, all the yeah. plates almost, yeah. And then you have to word it carefully if you say like, oh yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe we can look at an acoustic night, but at the moment we're just doing bands and stuff like that. It's yeah, I kind of used the example of when we kind of did acoustic nights and I was like, oh, have you got any slots available? No, I've got none available, even though I'd have like three available. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, as much as the guy is, he was nice, he was polite, he was everything. The music side of him kind of got ruined because he didn't have that band as a backing. Yeah, that makes sense. And he just kind of, he just like, and just yeah. flopped. Yeah, in a certain venue, that's not going to work, is it? Um, especially if it's not a particularly intimate venue or whatever else. So, uh so we're almost done with the second part. We'll move into a third part as well about where you're going from here. But gig highlights then. So I see you'd mentioned to Lee that you love a band that sounds as good live. Yes. Uh, sorry, as good On as they recording live, yeah. I suppose, whichever way you want to put it. Um, talk to us a little bit about that then. Um, my advice always been to bands when they go, oh, well, how do we get a gig? And I was like, well, yeah, it's okay using videos from your gigs like that, but... Sometimes you think back a couple of years, well, back like 10 years ago, camera phones were shocking for like, quality for they still video. are now, really. I mean, you know. Some of them can be, yeah. yeah. Um, so I was like, well, why don't you just go into a, a live recording studio, mic everything up, and record like just two tracks, put it out as a, like, a, like a little live, e live, live EP, EP, yeah. Live um, and a lot of bands took that on board and were like, oh, yeah, we'd love to do that. At the time, saying that, my friend had a live room that he could do recording in. Uh, Cal made so much money off so, that yeah. because I put them towards that way and said, Cal records live, so go see him. Do so you get a bit of commission off that then? Or? A couple of beers. There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's all you need, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's the thing in original music. You'll just take beers sometimes as a payment. Yeah. <laughs> Just anything for a good night out after your half an hour set. Yeah. Um, like, what we were saying in that, what was the best, what would you say was the best night you've had as a promoter? Oh, God. Um, probably say my favourite as a promoter. So, saying the last company was, um, there was a band called Lennox, who were out in Middlesbrough. Absolutely great band, female-fronted band. Absolutely amazing. Very powerful as in like so they're like kind of like a, a pop punk kind of vibe like poppy pop punk kind of thing and just always used to bring their a game kind of thing no matter where they were playing they were just always on point 
and stuff like that. Very well put together live. Um, like the venue we used to run years ago had no monitors. <laughs> so it was just like two speakers, like a vocal PA, and then the rest was just what they brought. Backline. Yeah. And it was like, they would come in and go, can we just angle them speakers a bit towards us? Yeah, do what you want. I was like, because there was no monitor system. <laughs> Didn't need a monitor system because it was a small venue. Yeah. Didn't need one. It was loud anyway. And it yeah. literally, people used to go, oh my God, this is like an absolute great venue for thing. You don't even use a monitor system. But we use monitor systems when we, if we've got somebody else in to do sound, if we had a bigger kind of band in, then, and if they were like, so say they'd send their text back over and go, oh yeah, we need this, 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 this. Right. Need to hand that over to somebody else because our system would not handle that. Mm. So it's like, right, so that's when, like, Carl would kind of come into the situation. He'd, like, bring, like, a massive rig and all that kind of stuff with monitors and everything mic'd up. Yeah, it was great. Like I said, like, the, probably the fondest memory of that with Lennox was absolutely, they were just absolutely great. Everyone was dancing. People were, like, kind of even, there's, like, there's, like, home, like seating areas around the side. They were actually dancing on the seats and everything. Like that. It was like, okay, this is going to be a good night. Mm. But... The good thing about that was the manager of the bar turned around and said, do you realise how much money's been taken me over this bar tonight? And I went, since when? He went, since six o'clock, we have taken over two and a half thousand pounds. Right, yeah. He didn't tell me how much. He said over two and a half thousand pounds yeah. in one night. Well, I hope he shared the wealth. <laughs> well, I hope, I will. I'm yeah. still waiting for that. He booked, he booked you again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, we're going to take a break there and uh, we'll move into the third part of the episode very shortly. So, uh, cheers. See you in a minute. Hello there. We're sorry to interrupt your episode. Very sorry. Very, so sorry. But we wanted to let you know that we've updated our TikTok and Instagram handle to the One More Songcast. Now, you might be thinking, where the ruddy hell has Tom's cast one gone? Well, don't, don't you worry about that. That's why we've come here to tell you. So, go and follow us or like us on either one of them. Like all our videos. Give us a lovely comment on them. Then, head over to our YouTube channel, which is also at the One More Songcast. And, subscribe to us. Hit the notification bells. Leave us lovely, lovely comments. Like all the videos. And then go over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. Download, rate, and give us a five-star review on there. Yeah, it's massive, especially the subscribing on YouTube. It really helps us get the best guests on possible and just improve our podcast overall. So if there's anything that you do today to help support us, then go over and subscribe to us on YouTube and all the aforementioned. And the best of all, it costs you note. Costs you nothing, man. Back so, to the episode. See you later. Right, we're into the third and final part. Well, maybe we never know sometimes, do we? No. Uh, we're back with Gary for part three. So, uh, Gary, you enjoyed it so far? Yeah. Yeah, Brilliant. good stuff. Been a new experience. Yeah, never been, have you never been on a podcast before? No. Or you said normally it's in... like uh, radio interviews, so normally do it like over the phone kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, work with uh, Radio Northwich in Cheshire quite okay, a lot. Okay, yeah. So they're quite good with me. Uh, they've actually been to a few of our gigs as well. Right, so cool. So they're, they're like kind of done like so the Friday night and then the Monday they've gone out live again they're like oh yeah we were at Blackpool on Friday night seeing this gig absolutely we've had like such good like publicity off them wicked yeah one place you want to get in at Northwich is a salty dog yeah well JTR's which is Rob Sutton is a good right. thing he's like um, a promoter there JTR Metal Productions absolutely great guy so we've got nothing bad to say about Rob at all <laughs> super stuff 
So uh, we're just talking off camera about, so say like f- festivals in in Chorley, for example. Like they're very um, tribute, especially the big festival in every year. It's called Chore Fest, I think it is. It's all tribute act based. How do you think you break the mold and actually get more original fest? I know there are original festivals, but but more frequent. How do you how do you think you break that? It's very hard. It'd be yeah. a hard, very hard thing to do because, like we've said in the previous two parts about like original music, people just don't seem to want to mm. venture out anymore and see an original live music. They want to go see a cover band. Yeah, I suppose it's that thing of oh, that's what we've always done. Yeah. Have you, have you found that barrier hard to break down and like where you have managed to, how have you gone about it again? Um, I, I try and steer away from the cover side of everything, but sometimes it actually is a good thing to use because it brings a crowd, people mm-hmm. know the songs, people start dancing, people buy drinks, win-win for the venue really. Yeah. I suppose that's what gets you your work, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So have you had some gigs where I'd say it's, it's predominantly a... Um, covers but then they're putting in some of their own as well yeah i've had a few like that kind of thing um the first gig i ever did in blackpool for myself uh there was a band called Greenwire. uh they're from like manchester and fleetwood so it's like kind of like they um they like took like a couple of indie covers in kind of thing did more originals but like a couple of indie covers yeah and people were loving it you know what i mean and so and trying to book them to come back is the hardest thing to do because every time I message Simon he's like oh I'm not available for that weekend or we're not available for that weekend I'm like, for God's sake come on just give me an available weekend because yeah. they were just absolutely a great band to work with yeah, definitely. Um, very professional and stuff like that other than the uh, downing of three pints of Guinness live on stage <laughs> I'll say that <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that's a problem so much in, a, in an originals gig because you haven't got the hour and a half set generally that yeah. you have in a normally you have like um, like so normally with a covers band you normally have like two forty fives or three half an hours mm. and so like, like with an originals thing it's like you have like either a, an half an hour set or a forty five minute set but normally what I say to bands is do a forty five minute set and have three or four songs left in your set because if people want to hear more <laughs> you've got them three or four songs yeah. literally on the back burner yeah 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 it's always the best way you've always plan an encore even if you don't think you're going to get one. It's the first time you're in playing in an area. Like, I think when we come to Blackpool, it'd be the first time I've ever done an originals gig in Blackpool. Right. So trying to get people down there might be a, might be a challenge, but obviously you're going to do the promotion. You're going to put the yeah. work in to get people down there, and it's a day out for people at the yeah. end of the day. And if we're opening up, then you've got two hours drinking with your mates or whatever yeah. afterwards. So when you've got that and bands are new, do you give them a bit of leeway as well to in, in terms of like how much of a crowd they can bring? Obviously, yeah, I do, the, do give them a leeway, yeah. It's like I have a band on at the end of this month, Casting Tefra, um, Newcastle Metal Band. Absolutely fantastic band. Played a year last last a year ago, like it'll be like a year near enough to the date they last played here. Um, when the gig came available, Sean from the bass player was like, We want that gig. It's been a year since we've been here. We've been wanting to get back. We want that gig. So I was like, okay, mm. you give me a fee. I'll tell you if I can pay it or not. Sean gave me a, a reasonable fee just to pay their diesel. And he was like, yeah, that's fine by me. Do you find like, uh, obviously like we've just spoken about the splitting money. Yeah. Do you find that it's just most, for most originals bands, it is just, right, pay the petrol, pay the diesel, whatever, yeah. and we'll do the gig. It's yeah, just that's what most of it is. Mm. 
like I've known bands that have like done it like um going back to Secrium and Nomadis who were headed in March they were on tour and they did nine days tour and hardly made hardly any money out of it but one, one from Ireland one from London hmm. so they're out on tour together absolutely both bands phenomenal and I was like why are you not charging any more than what you got off me and they went we just want to pay for diesel so no uh, yeah, no matter who'd come over from Ireland, they that had paid for their diesel while they were going around the UK and their ferry there and back from the tour. And they said they hardly had any money to say pay for well, they had enough money for food and drinks and stuff, but they said that was the way we toured. Mm. And we just do it did it to stay to break even. Mm. So I was like, Yeah, that's just kind of what we do these days, you know what I mean? We do things to break even, we do what we can to kind of make a living. Yeah, but that's it um, almost, yeah. Yeah, but them, them two bands were just absolutely amazing. I didn't understand why people didn't even come see them. Mm. There wasn't that many people in the venue that night, for me, um, but the whole tour was the same. They said that there was like, they were getting like maybe 30, 40 people in a venue, but like sometimes the venue were holding like 250, 300 people. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. Like, I don't know why people aren't coming out to see live original music because that is going to be the next thing up. Yeah, it's a, it's a stepping stone for a band to get to the arena support or the, or even like the O2 at the academy support, yeah. if you like. Been in that situation a few times, like where um, we supported um, a band called Humanity Depraved. Right, okay. A metal band from Northeast. But we got like, they were on at the O2 and we just got given the slot. It was like, do you want? A slot at the O2. Uh, uh, yeah. But who was, we didn't even know who they were at the time. Oh, you're supporting Humanity Depraved. Who? <laughs> but then it kind of, when it came to it, um, got the gig. We were like the opening band. Did quite well. And then that was that. But I'm still friends with the two members of Humanity Depraved as well. So we're still friends like, to this day, really. So it's kind of like a networking thing as well. Yeah. I, I think that is kind of the thing, like, you've got to, take away the fact that yes you all want the sales you want to be bigger than every band but you've kind of got to take that competition away from it because yeah. at the end of the day you're still going places you might need a support act so if you're a twat to someone like why do they want to support you yeah. apart unless the only incentive then would be well they've got a big fan base and might as well go but yeah. then if you go on tour with them you it's, might it's, have to spend a bit more time than you want to with yeah. those people so just be fucking nice take the yeah, competition away from it doesn't matter who's who's better than who you know what i mean i've probably like over the years i've probably put bands on that were like lower the thing and i've given them a headline slot to the band that's below them but some of them have gone oh doesn't matter it's a gig <laughs> they aren't bothered as long as they've got a platform to play they do not care mm. uh, yeah so how how do you so obviously this isn't your full-time job at the minute we were talking off camera about the risks of you getting bigger acts and then having to pay more and then if that doesn't go well that falls onto you basically yeah. so what's the plan going forward and, and have you got any strategies to try and you know make it bigger well at the moment with the venues that we're taking over they're going to be kind of paying for our acts and for me pretty much to try and like boost our numbers kind of way so we're mm. going to try and like so the money that we're going to get we're going to try and spend that on more things like to try and boost our business kind of thing to get the bigger bands and to get this that and the other um 
we were doing like done what about doing a fe- like an all day festival thing um but we're waiting to hear back from two venues at the moment and um we're just trying to do everything we can just try and build a company yeah that makes sense where do you think the leeway needs to come from does it need to come from like you say the some of these venues have actually covered the band and, and stuff does it come from them does it come from it can't really come from you is it because you're sort of breaking even a lot of the time yeah. does it come from the band taking less where do you think the leeway has to like with me i kind of normally agree a fee with the band kind yeah. of thing so normally like sometimes some venues will give you a budget and say all oh, right you've got x amount to spend so then you try and keep into that budget and go right well this band is that much this band is that much and this is what's left so then sometimes you could be walking out with like 30 quid mm. for a night's work or for the time that you've put in for like so say like last six months so there's been one big massive event and that for that six months you've been hammering promotions and stuff like that you get 30 quid you're going to feel like well was it worth it but then the day if that gig goes well then you go go well no we do that again yeah you yeah. learn from you learn from the opportunity that makes sense so what is your average attendance like would you say generally when you've got these bands and where does it come from does it come from like members of the public that you've seen like we've seen the posters or does it come from mainly the bands would you say uh, a bit of both really i've had people that have kind of seen our posts on facebook and seen the posters out in the public and stuff like that um and they've just like gone oh yeah what how can we find out what's going on so what i've started doing now is um started using qr codes mm. so what i just printed a couple off laminated them stick around the venue so then as soon as they hit that qr code it goes straight to our page mm. so they can find what's happening and the thing is we did this years ago with qr codes but then qr codes started fizzling out and now they've started to come back in again so we're going to think well you go with the times and yeah. how 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 many people do you roughly would you say is the average you'd say tend to fill a gig with at the moment with the venue we're at we, i think the most we've ever had was like 50 60 people in there but it's like a, a capacity venue of 200 yeah and it's like it's, this is what we were saying if like if it was a covers band on and you were charging what we charge you'd have 250 200 people in that room yeah. but the fact it's originals you won't get that many yeah it's tricky isn't it how how would you to so say somebody's listening now and they don't really get out and see original music what would you say to them to try and encourage them to maybe not go and watch a cover band, but actually come and watch an originals band? My encouragement would just be come and see what, like what other things are on the table really kind yeah. of thing. So you've seen a covers band. Yeah. I get that covers band take a lot of time to learn songs that like that have just come out on stuff like that. If like a pop covers band kind of thing, um, take the time to learn the songs, perfect them. But then, if you come and see the original side of everything, you see how much time and effort and everything's been put into that song yeah. or their set kind of thing. Yeah. I feel like the energy as well, when you go and see an originals band as opposed to a covers band, like <laughs> particularly in metal and pop punk, you see these guys really throwing themselves around the stage as well. You don't yeah. see that in a covers gig. It's no, you just the see them stood, stood there still. And a lot of that is to do with space, to be fair. Yeah, <laughs> it is, yeah. Like, um, like obviously, we've we've got Jack in the band who we've recently had on, and he, he's got a wireless system, so he'll just wander around the venue and just go and sit amongst a crowd and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, well, I've seen that happen involved. a few times, yeah. It's good, it's good fun watching him do that, because he's just walked around the outside of a venue with his wireless guitar system, but... 
you'd see that generally more happen in an original venue. Yeah. I mean, what would you say the main difference is? Obviously, you're getting original music. You're not just getting your hit songs. What would you say the main difference is in an originals gig compared to the atmosphere of a, a covers gig? I think you just need to get that. Like, I think there's more energy out there kind of thing for an original thing because you think you need to try and sell yourself to the crowd yeah. this is what you're trying to do so so say a band plays like we're saying about the o2 so say you're the opening act at the o2 right you have to take that energy so people will literally look back and go to say like five years time they'll go oh well, we've seen them support so-and-so at the o2 now they're playing as a headliner at the o2 let's go see them or they're playing at a big gig somewhere close to where they are you know what i mean Go support local bands like that, mm. or even any bands that are up and coming. If they're trying to get themselves out there, go support them. Mm. It's it is a weird thing. Like again, you've got that access to Spotify, but you don't ever listen to like say, for example, I don't know if it's just because it's shoved in your face a little bit more, but you don't go and see, you don't go and listen to an Ed Sheeran and think, oh, I wouldn't want to go and see him live. So why do no, why do people why do you yeah. think people do it with a local band? I don't know. I just think some people just look at it and go, "Oh, they're a local band, doesn't matter." Mm. But then you think if they go play out the area, and then another crowd sees them, and then the people start following them from there to another town or another city, that kind of builds your reputation up. This is why with bands that I work with, sometimes they're sick of playing the same places all the time, and they're like, "We need to branch out." So this is why. I do what I do and bring them to Blackpool and then they'll go, oh, we need to get a gig in Manchester. Right, so I'll get a contacts from Manchester. Right, have you got any gigs available for this band? They are this style, that style kind of thing. Right, okay, yeah. So then they'll get a gig in Manchester, Liverpool. And so that just kind of like a knock-on effect. Yeah, that makes sense. Also, what what impact, I think, yeah, well, we, everyone in the originals game knows what Chris Moyle said the other month. Did you, weirdly, sometimes things like that automatically make people go well no actually there probably is good unsigned bands out there and it actually turns their attention to them did you notice yeah. a shift in anything or um a little bit yeah um a lot of things on social media was actually slagging moils off saying oh yeah he wouldn't know the original bands if he if it kicked him in the ass <laughs> and i kind of agree with that because he wouldn't because he'll get on a weekly basis he'll get a sheet of paper and go you need to play this music this week and that thing that doesn't matter so then he'll get that list. So, but he has to kind of do what he's told by the station. Yeah, yeah. So say like, but then we said about Ridder Northwich, right? They provide the Mighty Rock show, which is aired on a Monday night. That is to do with all the underground bands near enough. So this is like all the UK, even like European bands. A messaging in going, can you get us, can we have like some, a track play on the show? And that's what they want. This is what I do. I like when I get new bands and I listen to them. And I'll send them to Nikki or to Nick or to Susie or to um, Jim Johnson, like who they're all presenters on there for the Mighty Rock show. I send them artists all the time and say, right, give these a listen, see what you think. Yeah. And a lot of them have actually had like one track played on there, and then three or four weeks later they've got an interview on there, just because of like, kind of people pushing people together yeah that makes sense what did Chris Mayle say just for context um, he basically said that um, it's not his job to promote unsigned bands because he got asked the question why why don't you play unsigned bands right, on the yeah. breakfast show 
Um, and then he went on to say a little bit later, I'm not going to explain the full thing, but he went, and the, another reason we don't play him is because most unsigned bands are crap. Right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and it kind of caused a mm. very massive well, upstir in it, the yeah. underground scene. Yeah. Because a lot of people were like, put in like hashtags like boycott um radio x boycott miles and it caused a lot of stir mm. online but then sometimes do you think that was caused as a way to boost yeah you don't again know, do this you? is what i'm yeah. saying it does have a, an adverse effect in one way because yeah. that can totally change people's view on it and go whoa that's harsh let's go and check out an but unsigned you'd, band you'd think if miles did like a, a original uh, sorry unsigned music that he wouldn't want to be the front man to say that. Do you get what I mean? So it's... It's, it's, it's like a yeah. six and two threes kind yeah, of situation. Yeah. It's kind of like that thing, I don't know if you... Well, you listen to Justin Hawkins' podcast, but at one point yeah. he had a spatter out in the media with Oasis. Yeah. They were actually good mates off stage. Yeah, yeah. You'd, but yeah, it, it helped promote them because yeah. it yeah. put their name yeah. in well, the press. Another thing you just gonna, that you said there was um, Coldplay and Bring Me The Horizon. Right. Years ago. So when... Um, Bring the Horizon brought out Separate Eternal. Coldplay bought an album out, and the album cover was slightest bit different, <laughs> but like all it was was the Coldplay one was like multicolored, whereas the other one was like the Bring the Horizon wasn't. It caused a stir in the media, was slagging each other off constantly on Twitter. Then the Brit Awards happened. Bring the Horizon were actually getting an award for best British band or something like that. Um, and they decide to jump on uh, Coldplay's table and kick all the drinks <laughs> off and the table collapsed and all this kind of stuff. But it caused a thing in the media yeah, course, to kind yeah. of think. Then, about a year later, they were like, oh, right, we'll do a collaboration. <laughs> so this is, they, they try to cause that ripple effect to try and boost people to buy their albums and stuff and T-shirts and stuff like that. And then eventually it's just like, right, okay, we'll go and do it together. Or do yeah, a collaboration yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. You even see, like, um, I think it was Daniela Westbrook we're talking on the podcast. I know it's not music related, but she was saying how she would just play the, the, the tabloids and stuff. Because they'd just pay her, like, two grand for her to be seen in a certain place doing a certain thing. And she'd be like, oh, Well, she said, it, yeah, she said actually, um, she was like, you're saying about a podcast there. Yeah. They asked her um, why she did drugs. Right. And uh, she went, because I enjoyed the enjoyment of it back in the day, but now looking at myself, I've let myself go. Yeah, yeah. Which she's telling the truth. Yeah. Because if you look at Danielle Westbrook 20 years ago, she was a cracking looking woman. Yeah, yeah. Now she's just. And then like, now she yeah. looks like a mess. Yeah. <laughs> but that's me being nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Could have yeah. said a lot of different things there, but. Uh. <laughs> so, um, what's, what's a typical. What's a typical day like for a promoter then? So, you wake up in the morning, do you feel that pressure of you don't know who, how many people are going to turn up and ultimately that's it's not just on you is it but there's a lot of pressure that comes with that I yeah. suppose um, do you wake up in the morning as a promoter and, and, and dread the day or is, is, it, is it your buzz what, what's the gig, gig day is like it starts off a happy day kind of yeah. thing so it's like oh it's gig day come on come on like, yeah. kind of get really enthralled by it then you look at the ticket sales if you're doing ticket sales right, and you're yeah. like right are we going to have enough people to say Say we sold 30 tickets, are we going to have enough people coming through the door that are going to pay on the door? Mm. And I know our friends say, oh yeah, I'll come and see you. Or, I'll come and see Sons as a band. What happens there, Doctor? Yeah, it doesn't always work that way, does so it? So then yeah. you think, if you've got three friends saying that, that's 15, in my eyes, that's 15 quid that we haven't made. Mm. 
but then there could be three other people who came and that 15 pound is back but it's 15 pound you know what i mean that that money pays for the bands mm. you know what i mean yeah. it's like i put a lot of money up front and say oh yeah i i spent this and i need to make this back to break even or to even so uh, it's a hard thing to do because you don't know on a on a night you don't know if you're going to make a profit a loss yeah. break even that's kind of like when the gig starts happening you think right okay we've got 30 people in the venue right how many people have came in and paid on the door or oh, there's only 10 right mm. so then you think well have i made enough money to pay everything out but 80 percent of the time you haven't and you're putting your hand in your own pocket to mm. subsidize it and what, yeah what's your general um, mindset then are you just very much we'll see what happens or are you thinking about that all week <laughs> yeah pretty much all like all the time i'm yeah. normally got it in my mind because like the thing is you you're trying to do things to boost their like kind of get them fans in a way kind yeah, of thing yeah. yeah i know like some of them are coming out of the areas and i give them a bit of leeway because they aren't they haven't been here before but then the thing is you you try and promote them as much as you can so say like you go, oh, we've got this band on this week. Uh, these are the supports. Check them all out. See what you think. Come and see them live. And this is what we kind of do in our posts. We try and encourage people to come and see live music. Mm. This is what we're trying to do. Yeah. What have you got coming up then, Gary? What's uh, what's next in the pipeline for you? Uh, Friday. Okay. We've got a gig at Dirty Blondes uh, with Portrayal of Ruin, um, Dystopian Sun, and Davidatas like a metal night kind of thing yeah. free entry so that's going to be an absolute awesome night for me brilliant it's going to be a metal night so i'm just going to be moshing away now like i normally am <laughs> what, what do you generally do on a night are you i'm not getting involved in the sometimes crowd or? sometimes yeah, yeah. um or just depends. stress it at the back kind of thing <laughs> it's it's like if we do like like a free entry gig it will be i'll be around everywhere and making sure everything's running smoothly if it's a ticketed like event i'm normally like on the, on the door, um, normally we switch, like so the stuff I've got, we switch sometimes and I'll like, I'll go help out stage handing and then I'll go like have a mingle with the bands, stuff like that. Um, like some bands have said to me that promoters never seem to sit and talk with them. Mm. They just kind of come in and go, oh hi, shut the hands, oh where, so and so and so, right. And then promoter just goes and just doesn't come back. Yeah. And then later on he comes back and pays. Yeah. With me, I'm there the whole time. Mm. I speak to them. If there's any problems, I ask them to come and see me or my staff. If they can't, if my staff can't like um, deal with it, then come and see me. You know what I mean? I can give them like if they say like we're running a bit late. I've had bands call me. Oh, we're running a bit late. And I'm like, yes, but we will make that time up. Doesn't matter if we're running a little bit late. Like if we were half an hour late, then then it's a problem. Yeah, but. Like we, sometimes you run 10 minutes late because the bands took a bit longer to get the gear off the stage this is why I have stage hands to go right get their gear off stage as quick as you can yeah. and this is why I tell bands as well like when one band goes on start kind of getting your gear ready yeah yeah. because the quicker you change over the smoother night runs mm. and people aren't going to get bored because if you wait if you're waiting half an hour for the next band yeah. people are like huh oh, I don't want to buy another drink. Yeah. Or I don't want to do this. Or I don't want to go outside. 
you know what I mean? It's the bands there, it just keeps them involved. Yeah, I think as a band or an act sometimes, you're, you're worried that the person before you isn't getting off quick enough, but when you've had your gig, you're like relieved, aren't you? And you're mm. chilled and you're like, you know, it's, right. <laughs> yeah, you're not bothered then about the next person sometimes as much, you know, so. Uh, yeah, I think if, you, if you're if stressed about a gig because there's a, like, there's a big crowd there and you really want to impress them, you do sometimes get like that. But then, I, I kind of I'm kind of like the opposite, so I might apologise and serve every two or three yeah, seconds, going, yeah. "Sorry, I'll be out of your way in a yeah, second." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like that. But like normally, what I would do is when I was in bands years ago, I would unplug my guitar, get my front of my pedal board, put the thing over the top, clip it in, and then start trying to wheel my amp off, just to try and get everything out of the way. Yeah. And everyone's like, "Why do you do it?" And I'm like, "Because it's just the right thing to no, do." I yeah. Cannot. And the thing is, I understand that people have a tight schedule and stuff like that. But the thing is, we try, we try and keep to that schedule. Like I've, I've done a festival before, like years ago, and we started a bit late because one of the members of one of the bands was late, so I had to knock it back twenty minutes. And I was like, oh, it's going to be a knock-on effect all day. Everyone's going to be twenty minutes late. But then it kind of made it better because they were 20 minutes late it got a couple more people in the room because people were waiting um and then it was like during the day we kind of made like five minutes here five minutes there five minutes there so that 20 minute slot that kind of thing kind of came back again mm. and i had i was on the door that day with the festival but i could see everything was happening like from the door but my the guy that was in charge in the venue he was making sure that my day was running smoothly. He worked for me, but he was just making sure that everything was running smoothly. And I was like, cheers, Chris. You know what I mean? I was like, it's nice to know that someone can actually do that job. So it means I can actually take a bit of a step away sometimes. Yeah. You know what I mean? So say if I'm like, put it this way, if I'm at work and I get shift, put in for a shift and I, I've got an event, I've got somebody there that can run my event. Yeah. You- so like now I've got, like years ago I had Chris, now with this company I have Charlie. Uh, Charlie's a very good friend of mine. Um, we've been friends for quite a while, and he ran one of my nights in September. No, no, sorry, no, in September, no. in July. Um, so I went away for for the weekend, and Charlie ran the company. Yeah, so that's how you want a, a business running it, where yeah. it can run itself because you've yeah. got the right people in there working for you. Yeah. We had like during Rebellion Festival, right? So there was only three of us working rebellion festivals there was me jay and eddie all working rebellion the amount of compliments we had off bands and people who'd actually come to the gigs how well we put everything together was actually quite really nice to hear people say oh yeah that was great how you did that and you've got such such lovely staff and you're so helpful and all that kind of stuff and it just kind of makes you feel a lot better at that Mm. point yeah i was that was going to be my next question the people that work only quick because we've only got a minute or two before we have to break off but the people the bands that you've worked with what do you think they would say about you and your promotional company i'd love to know I'd love really, to i know. would love to know yeah, because yeah. i'd love to know what the what they think of well if anybody's worked with uh, with gary then uh, pop a comment down below hopefully it's positive <laughs> <laughs> what would you, what would you want them to say just how like how well not i wouldn't say how good we are just how well we do our jobs kind of thing i'd just like to know like how people feel about like my company as a yeah. whole really we try and do everything we can to help bands and i'd like to know what they think of us really 
I think if it, if it was me or you working with a promoter, you'd like that personal touch, I think, wouldn't you? Yeah. Not just like you're a number or you're an inconvenience or whatever, you know. Well, half the, half the chats me and Gary have had leading up to today well, it weren't even about music. It was about, like, you. I think you, were, you had a, a bit of a stressful time at work and it was yeah. just mainly, like... It was just like having a conversation. It was so smooth. There was no, there was none of this, right? I was like, right, I understand you've got stuff to get organized. You're yeah. busy at the moment. He's like, yeah, it doesn't help that this is at work. And all of a sudden you've got that connection. Yeah. I've never had that. I think I've had that with one other promoter in, in the past. Yeah. And that's it. The thing is, like, people say to me, like, like, how do you like treat promotions? And I'm like, I'm a person. That is it. Mm. I'm no better than you. And you're no better than me. It's just... We're just all people in the day. Right, I feel like a radio presenter. I'm going to have to break off there for, yeah. for an advert or a song or something. So uh, we'll see you shortly. We'll do, do a few quick fires with Gary to finish off. So uh, we'll see you in a minute. Cheers. Hello there. Sorry to interrupt your episode. Just going to take a moment out to advertise me and my massive ego. No, we'd like you to go and check me out as a performer. It's Luke B. Sings on Facebook and Instagram. I don't do all the TikTok and all that business, so it's just those two social medias. You can have a little look at my upcoming gig dates. You can have a look at a few cover videos and stuff like that. And yeah, just generally see what I'm up to as a, as a solo performer and as a member of the One More Song trio and Age Gap duo as well. So yeah, go and check me out. Give me a like and a follow. And uh, for all inquiries and whatever else, just drop me a message on, on one of those pages. Back to the episode. Right, we're into our third and final part. Gary, we're going to have a bit of a quick fire for you. Okay. So um, we'll go best and worst. Well, we've heard we've sort of heard one of your best gig experiences, I, I believe, from the first part. What, what's your worst gig experience? A nightmare situation? <laughs> it could be. It could be from when you were performing, or even when you're a promoter. So performing side of it, um, I would say the gig in Leeds with what I was saying about earlier with Johnny. It was just really bad. <laughs> he nutted that guy <laughs> even though the, the positive of that gig was was the guy in question was actually done it with a lot of other bands what get in the face, get in the face. Right, so yeah. you, I think he kind of wanted a reaction <laughs> so the guy that was the venue owner kind of we got called into his office and he was like there you go guys so give us this money and he went and there's another envelope and we're like what it's like oh that's for nutting that guy and we're like oh <laughs> so he actually paid us oh, right, because nice. he, we'd actually knock the guy out pretty much. <laughs> but that was it was a weird situation because I thought when after Johnny had nutted him I thought yeah, we're, oh, not, we're, we're not getting, now, yeah, we're we're not getting paid, paid. Oh. so we're going to be literally <laughs> out of pocket but he actually paid us there and he go. paid us extra that's a t- oh nice, nice hit man money that's yeah, brilliant yeah, as a like promoter prize fighter I would say the worst thing that ever happened was I was doing a gig back in Teesside years ago and someone's amp caught on fire. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So we had to try and get the amp out of... <laughs> well, it didn't actually burst into flames. You could just smell the burning. Oh, wow. So I was shit, like, man. shit. So got the amp head out of the venue to try and keep it like from exploding. <laughs> and we had 10 minutes to kind of change the guys change, over. Yeah. Wow. So we actually had to get another head and stuff like that. It was quite stressful, oh. but it happened. <sighs> Hang on a second. <sighs> Right, stop it there. Hello there. Apologies for taking the time out of your episode, but I really needed to promote something. It's flash floods at the old Leyland Gates in Leyland, funnily enough, where my five-piece indie rock band will be performing a New Year's Eve party 
for you all to enjoy. If you're in Leyland or the local surrounding area and you want an indie party with a few curveballs chucked in here and there, then come and see us. Details can be found on Facebook, just search The Old Leyland Gates or Flash Floods Indie Band. Thanks very much. And back to your episode. Right, sorry about that interruption. We're back. So we were talking about your worst um, story as a promoter. Yeah, so Go. it was like the amp ca- catching on fire. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's just, it just was a hectic bloody thing. It was like, ah, oh, crap. So I think, like, because it was an open, like, dance floor kind of place, you were going to try to battle through the crowd oh, wow. to try and get this amp to try and get it out. <laughs> <It's> like, shit! <laughs> Did that just ruin the night from that point then? Uh, no, it just kind of got better from there. Oh, that's all right then. So yeah, it was yeah. just like, everyone was like, oh, is everything all right? Like, yeah, everything's fine, but we just need to kind of keep this gig going. It's like, yeah, you can't yeah. stop now. <laughs> yeah. So I suppose it's like that. People are, like, are oblivious to what's going on as well. So you're like, you're going, excuse me, excuse me, yeah. get the fuck out of the way. Yeah, I think that's kind of how it was. <laughs> Remembering it, I think there'd been a few drinks involved before that as well. Yeah, oh, yeah. Jesus. So like, I kind of like, got a bit more louder than I normally do. The filter's gone, basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not in my anger kind of just like goes from here to here in like seconds when I've had a well not when I've had a drink but whenever like if I get angry then I get angry <laughs> no yeah what would you change about we could go broader we could go a little bit what would you change about the general music scene in this country or well we'll say in the northwest what would you change about the music scene um, in general doesn't even have I to be prob- original I would probably do more open place festivals like for more local and upcoming bands so if it was more local it would feel more at home mm. and the thing is that means you're supporting that band in your area yeah, yeah so that's what i would that's what i would probably do and who do you think's who do you think's primarily responsible to be able to make that happen if that Gov- makes sense government government right, yeah okay i just don't think the government support the music industry as much as it should be yeah because it's a performing art so you see like especially with like forming outside of everything so like theaters during covid needed money to stay open mm. like to to revitalize their thing theaters and venues have probably been hit the hardest yeah i agree during all this yeah i agree i agree yeah i think as well yeah you know there was a couple of well-established venues in liverpool manchester and like the night and day situation where they built high-rise flats near night and day and they're like they're just like not helped them at all and they've ended up getting a curfew on when they can have live music on well that's like they've been there for god knows how yeah, many years this is and now because they've put new neighbors in an area where there's already music and they're complaining yeah what what it's like what did they expect yeah the, it's, it's one of them things isn't it you think if it's been sat there for years you need to kind of respect that you know what i mean it's a place that's trying to make a living for itself you know what i mean them flats people are paying for yeah but who pays for them flats? Yeah. You know what I mean? There's people out there that might live in them, but the thing is, the people that own them are like, oh, yeah, there need needs to be a curfew. It probably won't be the people that are living in them right now. It'll be the owners mm. because they'll probably want them to shut down mm. because then they'll just find somewhere else for, like, well, another venue will probably shut down. They'll turn it in, that into flats as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is what the this is what the world's coming to. So like any spare bit of land that this country has actually got now, they're actually building on it. And yeah, I was explaining this to a friend of mine about the tectonic plates and everything there in the like underground. So it's like tectonic plate things. If they hit, then it causes like an earthquake and all that kind of stuff. 
But the only way that's actually not done is by not building. It just, it just the structure of the earth is not made for that. Mm. And it's like China and all that get massive earthquakes. That is why. Because every bit spare land they've got, they build on. Mm. So it is all greed and they're also taking music out of the curriculum in a lot of schools, yeah. which doesn't help. So next question. Um, name one band or one solo artist that you've seen live, you've had on your gigs, or that you've just that you're just listening to now, that you'd recommend. Two bands that right at this moment that I'm listening to quite a lot, which are thing is Cyteria, uh, band from Sheffield, and uh, Pulverize. Right, and where so, could where could like what can you expect from those bands? Oh, so Cyteria are um, near of all female except from the drummer. Right. Um, so you have uh, the lead guitarist is actually the guitarist in girls school as well right okay so they're like a 70s kind of band like 70s metal band um, she's the lead guitarist in them as well as well as been in Cyteria um, and then you've got Julia who's their vocalist and guitarist uh, Argentinian lovely woman um, had a really good conversation when we did Rebellion with them um, but they've got like this really massive energy about them. Like they've only been a four piece, and they've got like they're all all four of them sing. So they've got like a four part harmony kind of nice. thing. And it's just it was so good to see a band like that that were really enthusiastic, had very good stage presence. Even though they played a gig earlier in the day as well, because they played at um, the Winter Gardens during the Rebellion Festival. I had a pull out, and the bass player Steph is a friend of mine. So eventually I rung Steph and I was like, Steph, any chance you want to do a gig tonight? And she's like, uh, yeah, where? So I told her like all the details and she was like, yeah, we'll do it. I was like, sweet, that's, that'll do me. <laughs> but yeah, it was, um, was a really well put together thing for what we did. We had like, we had like a couple of hours to save a gig and we did it. Yeah. So it was like a number of phone calls, like 30 <laughs> and messages and stuff like that. So within 40 minutes I saved the day. Nice, nice. So, promoter or performer? What from me? Yeah, what would you, what would you prefer? Or what, what yeah, where's your... Probably say promoter. Promoter, yeah. Like to help more than... Actually play. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough, yeah. Blackpool or, or Middlesbrough or Teesside? Blackpool. Okay, and what, what's the reason for that then? I don't know, it's just, I feel, I just feel a bit more homely in Blackpool. Mm, okay. I don't know what it is, I just... I just feel probably really, I wouldn't say the happiest I've been in my life, but I feel quite happy here. Yeah. And so like it's been a good, time, like a good time to change my life around from moving from Teesside and stuff like that. And stuff like that. So Brilliant. it's kind of like... Stuff. Any more, Lee? Um, 16-year-old self, are we asking Yeah, that? shall we go? Yeah. yeah why not? What would you say to a 16-year-old self just starting out? Um, what advice would you give him to maybe shape yourself going forward I know obviously you can't change much but it's a just game do, just do much as much gigging and performing as you can and yeah. get yourself out there and did you feel like you did that when in your yeah, time yeah I think yeah. I did I did yeah. a lot of that in my time kind of thing but like, I'd also say what I've what I've always said try and help everyone you can mm. you know what I mean be as pleasant as you can be if someone starts being a dick with you then they don't need to be in your life really yeah. You just kind of like cast them to a side, which I've done for the last 15, 16 years. <laughs> Anyone starts being a dick, right? It doesn't matter. <laughs> Not in my life anymore. 
Have you got any final messages you want to uh, you want to send us off off on? Just all the bands that have done things with me for the last couple of years. Thanks for all the support you gave me, um, and all the bands I'm going to be working with in the future. Just good luck. You know what I mean? Just mm. what, what and hopefully we all kind of have a good friendship at the end of it. Brilliant. One more question before we uh, before we wrap up. Where is the music industry now, and where do you see it heading? Music industry at the moment, in my eyes, is tough because I think that it doesn't give the unassigned bands the recognition it deserves. And I'm hoping in the future it gets better. Do you see that happening? I see it happening if the right people did the right things and help the local scenes and unassigned bands. It's the only way forward. And that's a call out to government yeah. and venues yeah. as well. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. Well, thank you for coming on today, thank Gary. You, no it's problem. been a pleasure. It's nice yeah. to meet somebody new that we've. I've never met you before. Mm. I don't think you've met, have you before? No, no? this is the first time we've actually no, met. Yeah. We've spoken over Facebook Messenger. Yeah. But what's your promotion company called, uh, and where Mac- can we find Macintosh you? Inc. Promotions, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And how would somebody get in? I know it sounds obvious, but if someone's looking to get on your books and get out there performing, um, how do they get in touch with you on just your on your pages? Yeah, just yeah. on social media. Brilliant. We'll, uh, we'll pop them details down in our description not on, our, on our YouTube channel, um, so you can go and check that out. And uh, yeah, big thanks for coming on, Gary. No Appreciate problem. it. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to, uh, to playing this back to you, and hopefully, uh, you know, you've had fun. So uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, good stuff. All right, See you, you soon. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. I don't know where I was going with that then. That's some, that's some <laughs> 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 <laughs>